welcome. It is good, as always, to be together and to be able to worship together as we sing and as we open God's Word. I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. We're continuing on in this series that we've entitled Course Correction. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. Growing up, I played baseball and basketball, and I remember as a team, whether it was a baseball game or basketball game, if we committed errors, our coach would not be particularly happy with us. And so in baseball, if we had errors on defense, ground balls that were missed, um, fly balls that were missed, signals, there are signs that were given to us by the third base coach that were missed, Strikeouts where we would watch a third pitch cross over the plate instead of striking out swinging and protecting the plate. Our coach would meet with us after the game and he would say, hey guys, you guys played whatever it was, okay, bad, good, whatever. But he would say, we need to clean it up for next time. Same thing in basketball, if we had passes that were stolen or uh, poor passes that were there, we took shots that we shouldn't have been shooting or missed Free throws, which was a big deal. Unforced errors. Coach would meet with us and he'd say, guys, we need to clean it up. I think we're familiar with that statement, clean it up. If you have children, you've no doubt said that about your kids' rooms. That when you walk into it. I use the the phrase, and again, this is something probably that I, growing up, I thought I would never say this because this is something my parents would say. is I'd walk into the girl's room and if it's messy, I'd say, it looks like a tornado was in here. Like, have you ever said that? What happened here? This is a complete mess. Clean it up. We understand that statement in these different areas of life. And chances are you've either used that statement or you've been on the receiving end of that statement. And we know what is meant by that. And in many ways, I think that's the mindset and attitude the Apostle Paul has towards the believers in Corinth as he's writing this letter of 1 Corinthians to them. It's not the first time he's addressing them in some of the sin that was prevalent in the church, and he's addressing it yet again here in the letter of 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, where I think a summary statement that could be made about that passage that we're going to look at, verses 1 through 13, is clean it up. Say that with me. Clean it up. Sometimes it's necessary, isn't it, for someone to come into our lives and look at us and say, hey, listen, you need to clean things up. I think that's what Paul's doing here for the believers in Corinth. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can follow along if you're using a porn. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed." Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meeting the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or in swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is not... Those inside the church whom you are to judge, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There is an awful lot here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 13. And you've probably heard us say this from the front many, many times. But we could have an entire series just on those 13 verses of messages. And so uh, what I'd like to do this morning is look at this passage, this chapter, chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 13. And give us some truths to consider this morning and then some points of action for us as we go from here. So let me jump right in, because we, we need all the time that we have uh, in the passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Truth to consider, number one, there should be an expectation of holiness in the life of every follower of Christ. There should be an expectation of holiness in the life of every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at verses 1 through 5 again... We've read already in this particular portion of the chapter that Paul is really beside himself because of sexual immorality that is present within the church. Paul says it's actually reported. It's almost this, Paul's taking a standpoint or viewpoint here as he's beginning to write this in 1 Corinthians 5 as though I can't believe that I'm actually even having to address this among you. He says it's actually reported. Can you believe this? It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. That's one thing. A little bit later on, Paul's going to make reference to the fact that in verse 9, he says, I wrote to you already about sexual immorality, that that should not be something present within the body of Christ. He says, I've already addressed that. But here he says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, which is one thing, because that shouldn't be present within the church. You shouldn't be embraced by the church. We'll talk about that in just a bit. But he says, it's actually of a kind, verse 1, that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. You should think about this for a moment. These are believers in Christ that Paul is writing to, no doubt very immature in their living for Christ or their lack thereof. Paul's writing them and saying, listen, it is actually reported there's sexually, sexual immorality in the church amongst you, but even of a kind that is considered terrible amongst those that don't even know Christ. Uh, most commentators, when they comment on this particular passage, talk about how this man who had his father's wife, which would have been his stepmother most likely, was doing something that not only was forbidden in that culture and amongst them, but it was actually under Roman law even illegal to do. And here he is within the church, a man having his father's wife in a sexual relationship. And he says it's not even tolerated among pagans. 
This is a very clear understanding that Paul has been telling and promoting to the believer in Christ every step of the way. And as Paul would do in all of his letters, that there is an expectation of holiness in the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. We're to be holy as God is holy. What that means is that we are to be set apart from all that is sinful, worldly, and evil, set apart for God's use and set apart from that which displeases God. As a follower of Jesus Christ who has been redeemed, as one who is sitting here that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as one who was dead that God has now made alive, your life and my life should be characterized by holiness We should be holy as God is holy. We should be set apart from the sin that is prevalent in the world and those things that were once prevalent in our own lives. Let's consider that for a moment. What if we were to do a present examination of our own minds and hearts and lives, actions and words? Could what we are producing in our life on a day-to-day basis be categorized as holy in the sight of God? Set apart for God. Could it be characterized in that way? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul makes a very strong commander. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, listen, your spiritual act of worship as a follower of Jesus Christ is to present your life, to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, which is to be holy and pleasing in God's sight. Imagine what that looks like to you on a daily basis Present your whole self to God and say, God, here is my life to be used for your glory and in a way that is acceptable and pleasing in your sight. We can be guilty, can't we, if if we were to say that there is a spotlight on the stage with a circle and you say, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, whereas God's desire would be we would put our whole self in that spotlight and say, God, here is every part of me. Everything's exposed before you. The psalmist would say, search me, O God, and know my heart and try my thoughts. See if there's any evil in me and help me to to withdraw from that and present myself to you. Instead of putting our whole self in there, we can sometimes be guilty of seeing that kind of spotlight or that circle and maybe putting like a foot in and a foot out and be like, all right, is this okay? We could be guilty maybe of putting everything in, but we're kind of like just hanging on over here. What does God want from us? God wants a presentation of our whole selves to him to be used in a way that is holy and pleasing in his sight. Because you are not your own, the word of God tells us. We've been bought at a price. We belong to him. And so there should be an expectation of holiness in the life of the believer in Jesus. Paul, the apostle says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and following. He says, I say and testify in the Lord 
that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God wants us to be holy as he is holy. He wants us to have an expectation of holiness in the life of the believer in Christ because that's what we have been called to be. He goes on in Ephesians 4 to say, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The Apostle Paul is so consistent in all of his letters that there's the expectation in the life of the follower of Christ of holiness that we're to be set apart for the Lord's use. We're not to look like the world, or and when I say the world, I mean those that do not know Christ. When I say the world, I mean all that is evil within the world and the sin that is prevalent in the world. We're not to look like the world or talk like the world or act like the world or we're not to do as the world does and value what the world values and participate in what the world participates in. We're to be holy as God is holy as the children of God. That means that we don't lie, we speak the truth. That we don't sin in our anger, but we demonstrate patience and long-suffering. That we resist the temptations of the devil to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, our pride and sinful sexual desires. That we don't steal, but we work hard and we give to those in need. That we don't swear or use filthy language, but we speak truth. That we don't gossip or tear others down out of envy or bitterness. That we don't hate others, but we're quick to forgive. We're to be holy as God is holy. There's an expectation of holiness in the life of every follower of Christ. Paul says, and you are arrogant. Verse 2, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already announced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is harshness here given by the part of Paul the Apostle here. This is harsh, but it's righteous harshness. Why? Because there's an expectation of holiness and when sin is embraced and sin is participated in, and what follows that sin is a heart of unrepentance. 
a lack of acknowledgement of sin and even boastfulness on the part of the believer in this church that, that this sin was even happening and they didn't care. Paul says that they need to be removed from among you and delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? Because there is an expectation of holiness in the life of every follower of Christ. And sometimes that's hard for us to digest. Sometimes that's difficult for us to hear. That's hard, but absolutely necessary. Things don't get easier in the passage. It's like, man, that's a lot. That's hard. It is, but buckle up because it gets even harder as we move through this passage. Number two, the church is responsible to maintain holiness in the body of Christ. So there's an expectation of holiness, but get this, the church is responsible to maintain that holiness in the body of Christ. Look, this is verses five through eight. He says, you deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is not an easy task, yet a necessary one. It's the responsibility we have towards one another as followers of Christ. Sin... And the presence of sin, unrepentant sin, is not something to joke about or brush under the rug. It's not something to be ignored or excused. In verse 6, Paul said, your glorying is not good. Your glorying or boasting is not good. He said the same thing in verse 2. He said, you are puffed up. You are arrogant. Completely ignoring the sin that has to be confronted and has to be dealt with within the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the preceding verses, chapter 4, verses 14 to 21, the Apostle Paul speaks about the sin that was prevalent in their lives. And he says that, listen, I, I'm not writing to you to try to uh, make you ashamed, but I'm admonishing you. I'm correcting you. I'm wanting you to understand that as, as a father cares for his children, that's what I'm doing for you. I'm wanting you to see the air of your way. I'm wanting you to see what needs to be dealt with. And it's for your good and for the testimony of the body of Christ. He wants his spiritual children to understand the necessity of purging out sin within the body. It was their responsibility to maintain holiness in the body of Christ. To be sober about the destruction that can occur when sin is allowed to run free within the church. He reminds them yet again who they are in Christ. Now he's going to use the word leaven here. Leaven is typically used to refer to influence and in particular evil influence oftentimes in scripture. Jesus used leaven to describe the false teaching and evil influence of the Pharisees and false teachers. And here it appears Paul's using this reference to leaven as reference to the evil and the sin that was allowed to be sprinkled into the church and as a result of a little bit of leaven or sinful influence or sinful activity, it was defiling or destroying the entire testimony and impact that the church as a whole was making in or not making in their area. Just as a little of evil and sin can bring destruction to the whole group, Paul's using this example of leaven, how just a little bit 
can make the entirety of the bread unleavened. And he says, you, as followers of Christ, are unleavened. In other words, you, as followers of Christ, have been made completely clean. You've been purged of all of the evil and sin that was once prevalent in your life before Christ. And he says, when Christ, our Passover lamb, appeared... Jesus Christ took away the sin that was so prevalent in our lives, and you have been made clean. And he says we are to be demonstrating that we're celebrating that Passover feast, that recognition of what Christ has accomplished daily with lives that are set apart for the Lord. Absent of sin, absent of evil, absent of those things that once characterized our lives. Our lives should be lived continuously through Christ, and for Christ. I think we need to pause for a minute and again be hit with the reality of what a little bit, quote unquote, even a little bit of leaven or sin and evil can do when it comes to the impact and influence it makes. I remember when my kids were younger, they would have sippy cups that we would put milk in for them. And so if we were going somewhere and had to go to the store, had to go, you know, on a, a short trip or whatever it was, uh, I don't remember which one of my daughters, but one of them always wanted her sippy cup with her. And even if she'd be done with it and there was nothing left in it, she would still be like sipping it, right? It was kind of like this thing that would like kind of appease that desire there. But there were times that she would have a sippy cup of milk and she would take it with her and one of our girls, and again, I can't remember which one, my wife would know which one, I should know, I don't, I'm sorry. One of them though, when they would be done, even if there was milk still left in that cup, they would just toss the cup. Uh, and so it, you'd have that sippy cup of milk and when you was done, it's like, I'm done with this. And it would just, she would just kind of toss it. And there would be times that that sippy cup of milk, maybe half full, would get tossed and it would roll underneath the front seat of my vehicle and it would be left there. And so you see where this is going, right? Yeah, you get it. And, and as I would get out of the car to get my daughter out of the back seat, open the door and I wouldn't see anything and it wouldn't dawn on me to think like, where's the sippy cup? Because I'm not thinking sippy cups all the time, okay? I had other things on my mind, all right? And so I'd open that door and I'd get her out and there's no cup on the floor and I would just leave and think nothing happened. I'd get, no, I don't care. But then I would get back into my car maybe a week later. And leading up to that, it wasn't like all at one time it was bad, but it was just a little bit that I would ignore it until the point in time came. And if it was summer, it was much quicker um, where I'd get into the car. And when you go to sit down in the car, you'd like look around because you want to blame someone for how it smells in your car, but there's no one else in there. And, and it would smell terrible. And I'd think, what in the world is wrong here? And I would be looking all over the car to figure out what was left, thinking, is there food left in here? Did I, are there shoes in here that I don't know about that someone had? Like, I'm looking all around. I couldn't find anything until eventually I'd be vacuuming the car out, and I'd look under one of the front seats, and there, like as though someone purposely was like, I'm going to lodge this right where you can't see it would be a sippy cup with spoiled milk that was all chunky and nasty. <laughs> and do you know whether that was a minivan that we had or a vehicle? Minivan, that's not a small vehicle. Minivan has like three rows. It's big. 
But do you know that whatever that square footage of that minivan is, no matter how many other things were in that minivan that were good, if just the presence of one little sippy cup that was rotten was there, the entirety of the van would stink. And anybody that would get in that van, no matter how clean it looked or how good there were of things in it, if the presence of that one bottle was in there, they would not want to ride in that van. Because it destroyed the whole thing. See, this is the picture Paul is giving them when he speaks about the sin that is prevalent in the church. When the sexual immorality that was there was allowed to continue and be within the church. He says in this passage, he says that your boasting is not good, verse 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Do you see why it is so important that the church maintains holiness within the body of Christ? I want to let you know as a church that our elders exercise and practice church discipline when discipline is needed. That if we know that there's members that are part of the body of Christ, a member that's part of the body of Christ here at Maranatha Bible Church, where there is the presence of continual unrepentant sin that we will exercise church discipline as a church, as a body of, of leaders in this church, because God has called us to do that. And that is not always easy, but it's commanded. Because it is the responsibility of the church to maintain holiness in the body of Christ. And Paul's admonishing them about this here. He goes on, number three, the presence of overtly rebellious sin amongst followers of Christ should not be tolerated Within the body of Christ. Verses 9 to 11 he says I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. You're not to associate with them. He goes on verse 10 to clarify. And we're going to look at verse 10 in a minute. But he says in verse 11. Now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. The presence of overtly rebellious sin amongst followers of Christ should not be tolerated within the body of Christ. Can I ask you just for a minute to consider the seriousness of Paul's commands here? Verse 9, he says, don't keep company with sexually immoral people. Verse 11, he says, don't keep company with any brother. Someone who identifies as a follower of Christ. Someone who says, I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm part of the church, the body of Christ. He says, don't keep company with any brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Let me clarify something here because you look at this list and be like, this auditorium would be empty. Any fellowship gathering would be empty. Empty of people. Understand the context that Paul's writing and what his admonition is here and what his instruction is here. He's not speaking of having no fellowship, with not eating with, not welcoming into the body of Christ, not working in the body of Christ with the believer that ever sins. Because every pew here would be empty and the pulpit would be empty. If what Paul is saying here is that no one who sins should be within the body of Christ... The context here is the presence of believers 
who know the word of God and understand the instruction of the word of God and have been challenged in the word of God and who are willfully embracing sin in a way that is lacking and absent of any kind of repentance or confession and they're just continuing on as though everything is good. That cannot and must not be tolerated within the church. And Paul says here, if there is a believer, a brother or sister in Christ who is willfully in an unrepentant, non-confessing way, not only participating in, but continually participating in sin, that they are not to be welcomed within the body of Christ. It should not be tolerated. Similar to what Paul echoed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, when he spoke about the one that does not obey the commands that we've given to you, it's in the context of the one that doesn't work, shouldn't eat. That if someone's present amongst you in the body of Christ that says, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a brother in Christ, and they're ignoring the commands of God, you don't associate with them. This is, this is hard. This is not an easy thing. He says, don't keep company with sexually immoral people. Don't keep company with any brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, an idolater, reviler, drunkard, extortioner. Don't even eat with such a person. Now let me back up and look at what he says in verse 10. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. Paul makes a clarifying statement here, and I think this is something we need to hear because this is an indictment on the church. Paul says, don't associate with the sexually immoral. Don't associate with the drunkards and revilers and idolaters and extortioners. Don't associate with sexually immoral people or covetous people or people who are just blatantly sinning. Don't even have anything to do with them. And the church for so long has thought, well, that means as a believer, you don't go where someone who is lost is. You don't talk to someone who is an idolatry. You don't talk to those that have rejected Jesus. And we judge so harshly the believer that goes into the world in hopes of reaching the lost for Christ. And we would say, no, you need to be holy. You need to be set apart. But Paul makes a point here. He says the direct opposite in this passage. The be separate, they have nothing to do with, they don't associate with. He says, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about you all. This is an indictment on the church because in our zeal to be holy, we're very quick to talk about why the believer in Christ should not associate with, be around, eat with, or talk with those in the world who may be characterized by these things, but turn a blind eye when it comes to our association and fellowship with brothers and sisters who are doing these things. Paul's saying the direct opposite here. He says, I don't mean the world. Otherwise, you couldn't live in the world. I mean your brothers and sisters. And man, isn't it true for so long, so many as followers of Christ have no problem talking about why, as a Christian, you should not go into a bar, or as a Christian, you shouldn't have your kids in public school, or as a Christian, you shouldn't go to this event or that event, or go with these people or those people. This is why, as a Christian, you don't do X, Y, and Z, because God said you're not to be around those people and have any fellowship with those people. And then when we back up and look at what God says, God says, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about all of you within the church. 
And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to go do all those things. But I'm telling you this passage is taken out of context so many times by the believer of why we don't associate with the lost. And you know who was the greatest example of the opposite of that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, this is in-house cleaning. This is look within. It's hard. It's serious. But it must not be ignored. Can you imagine how much differently our lives would be lived if, as followers of Christ, we had the reasonable expectation of holiness in our lives and in the lives of one another, and the reasonable expectation that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we would care enough about one another to address sin when we see sin present in our lives? Can you imagine the seriousness that we would take sin with if we knew if we continually were in a process or participating in unrepentant sin, that meant our fellowship with the body of Christ would be broken. Can you imagine the seriousness if we're living an unrepentant lifestyle of sin, embracing sin in a way that is displeasing to God and the church knows it, brothers and sisters in Christ know it and we say, hey brother, listen, I love you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be with you. I want to live life with you. But if you are continuing to live in a manner that is displeasing to God and refusing to repent of that, I can't have a meal with you. I think that there would be greater repentance, confession, turning from sin, more obedience, greater testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, and greater forgiveness that's been offered. Because the presence of overtly rebellious sin amongst followers of Christ should not be tolerated. Number four, there should be no expectation of holiness in the life of the one who does not know Christ. We need to understand that. If someone's not a follower of Jesus Christ, there should not be the expectation of holiness there. Verse 10, Paul says, I'm not talking about those that are in the world. Otherwise, I'd have to remove myself from the world. Paul had zero expectation the unbeliever would follow Christ the unbeliever would desire Christ or live for Christ, and you and I should have zero expectation of that as well. Listen, if we can get that, that will go a long way in our understanding of relationships we have with people, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities. There should not be an expectation of holiness in the life of the one who does not know Christ because apart from Christ, you and I, as well as they, are incapable of living for him. Number five, judgment by the believer towards the believer is biblical and at times necessary. This is hard, but it's right in front of us, black and white. Verses 12 and 13, he says, What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. You've heard people say, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. Christians aren't supposed to judge. That is absolutely 100% correct when it comes to the conduct and condemnation of the world. But when it comes to the believer in Jesus Christ, it is biblical and necessary as we seek to maintain holiness in the body of Christ. You ever heard people say that? Don't judge. 
Christians are supposed to judge. Completely correct when it comes to the world, when it comes to the lost. When it comes to those that are outside the body of Christ, we are not called to judge them. We're not called to legislate their morality or try to legislate holiness in the life of the unbeliever in Christ. But Paul says here, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? It's necessary and biblical in love to confront and to hold accountable the believer in Christ for sin that is present in their life. And every time, Matthew 18, where it speaks about biblical confrontation for sin, it's always done with the expectation of restoration and the hope of restoration in Christ. That's the desire. There's all kinds of parameters given as well, where Jesus said, deal with the speck, or don't deal with the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a beam hanging out of your own eye. But in a statement of general truth, Sometimes judgment is necessary. It's biblical and it's healthy. And then number six, judgment towards the unbeliever is God's responsibility. Sharing the gospel is ours. I hope this can bring a smile to your face. The message we have to share for those who are not yet part of the family of God is one of urgency, love, and truth. Think of how good this is, church. Our friends, family, co-workers that do not know Christ yet who we associate with and spend time with need to hear the gospel, not an expectation of holiness for their lives. You and I don't have the responsibility to pass judgment on the unbeliever because of sin, nor do we have a responsibility to try to legislate holiness in their lives. It's not our job to try to convict people about sinful choices or point them out of sinful lifestyles or sinful conduct that is displeasing to God. We have the responsibility... To share with them that we, like they, need a Savior and that God has sent a Savior in his Son, Jesus Christ. This should come as a huge relief for you. You don't have a responsibility. I don't have a responsibility to judge the unbeliever. I don't have a responsibility for the unbeliever to try to change their lifestyle or their values or their perspective on life. I don't have a responsibility, nor do I have the power to do that. I have the responsibility and you have the responsibility to share with a lost, dying world the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the responsibility we do have. Judgment towards the unbeliever is God's responsibility. Sharing the gospel is yours and mine. So let me give us some points of action quickly. Number one, we must strive for holiness in our personal walks with Christ. Can I ask you this morning, are you truly striving to be holy as God is holy? How many of our New Year's resolutions are containing, I want to be holy as God is holy? Or containing Points of action that would lead to greater holiness. Number two, we must care enough about the testimony of Christ and the spiritual well-being of others to confront fellow believers in love when confrontation is necessary. If I love and care for you as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ, and I see the presence of continual unrepentant sin in your life, the most loving thing I can do for you as a brother in Christ is to confront you on that issue. In love. 
with hopes of repentance and restoration. You must care enough about the testimony of Christ and the spiritual well-being of others to confront fellow believers in love when it's necessary. Number three, you must be willing to accept rebuke when rebuke is necessary for our spiritual health and the testimony of Christ. We need to let the defense mechanisms down as followers of Christ when it comes to our brothers and sisters. We need to be okay with welcoming the voice of truth in our life when we need to be confronted over sin that is in our lives. Number four, we must love and care more for Christ than we do our own selves. That means that our desires, wants, cares come secondary to Christ. We must love and care for those who do not know Christ, recognizing the gospel is their only hope for transformation as it was ours. I think so often as believers we can look at the lost, those that are unsaved, those that don't know Christ as Savior, and think, how can I change their behavior? Folks, there's no behavioral change that's going to come unless there's a heart change. And the way to change the heart is through Christ. Number six, we must strive for purity and holiness within the body of Christ and deal with sin in a manner that pleases the Lord, however hard that may prove to be. I think it's a mark of a healthy church when the leaders in that church are willing to confront sin and exercise discipline when discipline is needed. It is unhealthy when sin is allowed to go unchecked within the body of Christ. These are hard truths. These are difficult things, but they're necessary for the testimony of Christ and for the health of the body. We're going to close this morning by singing two songs together. You know, it's only possible that we can live a life that is holy and pleasing to God because of what Christ has accomplished, because of what Jesus has done. Uh, We can only do it through his strength and through his power. So there's no opportunity for any kind of sinful pride or arrogance to think that as a believer in Christ, any one of us is better than any other. Without Christ, we are lost and can do nothing. But in Christ, we have been called to holiness. And we can only pursue that and live in that manner as Christ gives us the strength and light to do so. And so we need to have complete dependence on him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've accomplished through Jesus. May we live in light of the gospel. May we be holy as you are holy. And may we recognize that only because of Christ can we live a life that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.